me to the book of Exodus, chapter 15, and in a moment we're going to begin in verse 1. Exodus 15, verse 1. Perhaps the greatest Christian hymn writer in the history of the church was a man named Charles Wesley. Did you know that on the day of his conversion in 1738, on that very day, he wrote his first hymn? Almost 50 years later, on the day of his death, he wrote his last hymn. And in between those two days, he wrote about 9,000 more. From the day that he was saved until the day that God called him home, his life was a song. We were made to worship. And part of that, a very large part of that, is singing. You've perhaps heard me say the command to sing is the second most frequently cited command in all of the Word of God. That's how important it is. But there are many people these days who have adopted this line of thinking that says singing is for the singers. In other words, singing is for the choir. Singing is for the praise team. I'll let them do the singing. Ladies and gentlemen, singing is not for the singers. Singing is for believers. And it's not an accident that there are 66 books in the Bible, and the largest of them is the song book, the book of Psalms. This morning, we're returning to our study of the life of Moses. We're going back to Exodus, and we're going to look at what is called the Song of Moses. Did you know that this is the very first song that is recorded for us in the Word of God? Maybe Adam or Noah or Abraham wrote a song at some point, but if they did, it is not recorded in the Word of God. This one is before the book of Psalms, before anybody ever sang, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God inspired Moses to write and to sing this song. Now, the context of this song is the Exodus. God had just parted the Red Sea Israel crossed on dry land. Pharaoh's army pursued them. God released the waters, and Pharaoh's army drowned. But have you ever wondered what happened next? Have you ever wondered what happened immediately after the waters resided? What happened was singing. Beginning with Moses, the people began to sing, and they began to praise God. The Lord, can you imagine two or three million voices beside the Red Sea just erupting in praise to God? Moses said in verse 2, I will sing to the Lord. That can also be translated, I must sing to the Lord. Moses and the people could not help but sing. When they saw the miracle that God had just performed, they had to sing. 
Now, I don't have time this morning to get into every single word and every single phrase of this great, great song, but I want you to notice as we read through it this morning that there are some themes that emerge. We're going to see that when we praise the Lord, and particularly when we sing to the Lord, there are certain things that we are doing. There are some things that we are declaring. And I want you to notice three things in particular that we are declaring when we sing to and praise the Lord. First of all, we are declaring the salvation God has provided. We sing to declare the salvation God has provided. Look at verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider, he is thrown into the sea. Moses said, I'm going to sing. I must sing to the Lord. He is not singing for anyone else. He is singing this song for an audience of one. And why is he singing? Because God has triumphed gloriously. The majority of this song is Moses reciting what God has done and describing this great triumph. It's interesting, there's not any new information in this song. There's nothing that we learn about the Exodus in this song that we don't already know after reading chapters 1 through 14. But Moses recites what God has done, and he puts it to song because he knows what we also have learned, that we remember what we sing. Isn't that true? We remember what we sing. That's why some of you fellas can't remember your wife's birthday, but you can remember the words to that Gilligan's Island theme, even though you haven't seen an episode in 40 years. Some of you are asking, Pastor, what is that? Ask your parents. That is why I can forget so many things. I can forget where I put things. I can't remember names to save my life. But did you know that to this day, I can still remember every word of my college fight song, even though I have not sung it for 25 years? A streak I intend to continue, by the way. But why is it after a quarter of a century, I can still remember every single word? Because we remember what we sing so Moses, seeing what God has done, he puts it into song, and then he teaches this song to Israel so that they will remember what God has done, so that they will remember God's deliverance. Look at verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Him. Notice that Moses did not say, the Lord has given me strength. He said, the Lord is my strength, which is even better. Because if the Lord is my strength, then that means that all of the strength that God has available to him uh, is available to us uh, to defend us, to fight for us, to provide for us. Notice that Moses says, he has 
become my salvation. Salvation isn't something we have apart from God. No, God is our salvation. And Moses is singing because he has just seen evidence of that with his own eyes as God has saved them from slavery in Egypt. Skip down to verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. Skip down to verse 12. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. One of the things I love about this song is how absolutely God-centered it is. And I want you to think about this. Not one time in this entire song does Moses mention his role in the Exodus. Do you realize how extraordinary that is? You think about what an important part he played and how God used him to deliver Israel from Egypt, and yet not one time does Moses mention his role in the Exodus. Over and over again, the emphasis is on God. God did it. God triumphed. God cast Pharaoh's army in the sea. God won the victory. Again and again, the focus is on God. And by the way, we don't know a single thing about the style of music that was employed in this song. Now we get down to verse 20. We know that Moses' sister had some tambourines and some dancing going on. But other than that, we don't know anything about the style. We know everything about the content. We know the words. We know that it was all about God and how he saved them. Now, folks, I tell you that because it is tragic. And how many churches, the singing is so man-centered. What man wants what man feels, what man has experienced, man-centered instead of God-centered. And it's kind of sad that I would even have to say this. But when we gather here and sing to the Lord, our singing should be about God. He should be the focus of every single song. Who God is, what God has done, how God has saved us. Well, this theme continues in verse 9. He said, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Can you believe that even after the ten plagues, even after the Passover, this is what Pharaoh thinks. Boy, sin is not rational, is it? Even after all that has happened, this is what Pharaoh's army thinks is going to happen. They think, they really believe that they're going to do to Israel what they had done to every other army and every other battle that they had fought, that they were going to destroy Israel in a moment. That's what would have happened, but for God. 
That's why Moses again gives credit where credit is due. In verse 10, he says, you did it. You blew with your wind. Moses sings this song to remind the people what God has done. It is a declaration of the salvation that God provided Israel. Now this begs a question. This begs a question. If salvation from slavery and Egypt caused Moses and Israel to sing in such a way, how much more should those who have been saved from bondage to sin sing with an even greater passion? If we just begin to understand how great a salvation we have in Christ. If we just begin to understand how high a price he paid or how great a victory he has won, how can we not sing? You know, the Apostle Paul talked about this when he wrote his letter to the Colossians. Listen to what he said in Colossians 3.16. He said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord he said the word of christ is to dwell in us what does that mean well it certainly includes the gospel the good news of what christ has done for us the teachings of Christ as well. This word of Christ is to dwell in us to the point that we would continually be teaching one another and when necessary, admonishing one another. But how is this going to come about? How is this going to become a reality in the body of Christ? Paul says, here's how it's going to happen through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as we sing to one another what God has done, the more we sing, the more the word of Christ dwells in us. When we sing and praise the Lord, we are declaring the salvation that God has provided. Let me show you something else in this song that we are doing when we sing and praise the Lord. We are also declaring the attributes God possesses. The attributes... God possesses. Much of this song is Moses simply telling the world who God is. Listing and describing God's attributes. And you're going to notice in this song, there's an emphasis on certain attributes that many people in this world today would rather not talk about. Go back to verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Let me talk about that second part. Who is God? The Lord is his name. Moses is going back to that name that God gave him at the burning bush. He's Yahweh, the I am, the one who is self-existent, the one who doesn't change, the one who is eternal Moses says that he is a man of war. What does this mean, man of war? It simply means that God is our warrior. 
God is our warrior. God, yes, makes war against evil. God makes war against evil doers. He makes war against tyrants. Listen to me. God is not up there just sitting idly by, doing nothing, watching from a distance. God is active. God is at work. God is fighting our battles. We may not always see it, and it may not happen in our time, but the Bible says our God is a man of war. Look at verse 7. And in the greatness of your excellence. Isn't that beautiful? In the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. We see this emphasis in this song on judgment and wrath. Remember back in chapter 5 when Pharaoh decided he was going to make their work more difficult. He was going to increase the burden on the Hebrews by making them gather their own straw. We get to chapter 15, and it says that God's wrath consumed them like stubble or like straw. In other words, the measure of God's judgment was related to, was connected to the severity of their sin. And it's very significant that in the very first song that is written for us in the Bible, there's this emphasis on God's wrath. See, Moses sang the song and he taught Israel to sing the song so that they would be reminded and so that we would also be reminded that yes, wrath is God's response to sin. Because God is holy. Because he is pure. Because he cannot and will not tolerate sin in his kingdom. Wrath is God's response to sin. Jesus said in John chapter 3, the wrath of God abides upon the one who will not believe in the Son of God. It says in Ephesians 2 that we were once children of wrath. When we came to Christ, however, we became free from God's wrath because God's wrath was already placed upon Jesus Christ at the cross when he died for us. But yes, we should talk about and we should even sing about the wrath of God because God's wrath is related to the fact that he is holy and he is just and he will deal with evil. That's a good thing. Not only is God a God of wrath, but we see this emphasis on God's power. He is almighty. Look at verse 8. And with the blast of your nostrils... The waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. How did God do this? How did God make the Red Sea part? Moses tells us. God said, you did it with a blast of your nostrils. Obviously, he's not being literal. He's being figurative. What does this mean? This means that God defeated Pharaoh's army without even breaking a sweat. This means God won this great victory and he didn't have to expend any energy doing so. In fact, he didn't even have to open his mouth 
just a of his nostrils and the greatest leader of the greatest army of the most powerful nation in the world at that time was destroyed now folks there are a lot of powerful people out there there are a lot of big strong people who could knock me out with one punch i never met anybody who could knock me out with their breath although a few people have come close if you know what i mean but the bible says that god defeated them how by the blast of his nostril that is power now somebody might hear this and say yes pastor we understand but you know even the egyptians and the canaanites even the pagans they believed that their gods were powerful in such a way they wrote songs describing in very colorful language how powerful their gods were there's no one who describes god the way moses describes god in verse 13 listen to this you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation notice god led israel in his mercy of course that hebrew word is chesed and it is such a big word perhaps the most beautiful the deepest the richest word in the hebrew bible in the old testament it's hard to translate sometimes sometimes it translates mercy like in verse 13 sometimes this word is translated loving kindness sometimes it's translated steadfast love but if you look at that word you'll notice a pattern in which it refers to God's love for his people within the context of the covenant promise that he has made with them. It's kind of the Old Testament version of that Greek word, agape. It refers to God's unconditional love, the unconditional love of someone who is willing to sacrifice self, someone who's willing to die to self for the benefit of another and Moses says, God, this is how you led Israel, by your chesed, your mercy, your loving kindness, your steadfast love. I mean, the miracle has just taken place. It's as if the ripples are still in the water. But Moses suddenly looks back and he begins to think about the last 430 years. That's how long the Israelites had been in Egypt. And he makes this discovery. He says, God, all this time, all this time that your people were in Egypt, even when they couldn't see it, when they were frustrated, when they were tempted to give up, all this time you were leading them. And God, you were leading them by your hesed and by your, in the Hebrew, hoes, by your infinite strength. And ladies and gentlemen, what was true for them can be said of us christian brother christian sister you look back on your life and you think about every hill and every valley you've gone through every trial that you've had to endure those things in your life that you just could not understand those times when your heart was broken and you can look back and know that even in those moments yes god was leading you god was guiding you and god did so bringing these two forces together his unconditional love and his infinite strength there's no god like this now that's why moses can say in verse 11 who is like you O lord among the gods who is like you glorious 
in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Who's like you among the gods? Moses is not suggesting that the false gods of the Egyptians were in any way real. He's simply pointing out that the God of Israel, as he is described here, is unique. There's no one like him in no other religion. Not then, not now. Do we hear of a God described in this way, clothed in love and power? Now, knowing this motivates us. Knowing this makes us want to sing and to praise the Lord. And I think one of the reasons why sometimes we get so focused on our problems and sometimes we get so discouraged and honestly, we just want to give up. It's because we just haven't spent enough time remembering who God is. And we need to spend a little more time thinking about and reciting the attributes of God. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is almighty. He is unchanging. And we could go on and on. We have to recite these attributes, but folks, it's not just enough to say them. Listen, we must sing them. We've got to sing the attributes of God and who God is. And when we do that, praise changes us. When we praise the Lord, all of a sudden, we're less focused on ourselves and on our problems, and we're more mindful of who God is and what God can do and what God has promised to us. All of a sudden, we have more faith in that trial or in that temptation that we're facing today. Folks, it's so, so important that we sing and praise the Lord. When we sing, we are declaring the salvation God has provided. We are declaring the attributes God possesses. But there's one more thing I want you to notice in this song of Moses that we are declaring when we sing. We are declaring the victory God has promised. We are declaring the victory God has promised. Look at verse 14. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Felicia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, or O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. Moses remembered something. He remembered that Pharaoh would not be the last enemy that Israel would have to face. He knew that there were other enemies waiting for them on the other side of the Red Sea. So you know what he does at the end of this song? He begins to list those enemies, those enemies that he knows that Israel is going to have to face. And in fact, if you look at the order, you will notice that Moses is actually tracing the route that they're going to take to the promised land and he thinks about all of the enemies who are waiting for him, and he begins to sing and praise the Lord because he remembers the victory that God has already promised over them. Now, that victory hasn't happened yet, but he knows that it will, and so he 
begins to sing. Now, that's why Moses sang. That's why Israel sang. Can I tell you, that's why we sing as well? Because we know that all of God's enemies will be put down, and one day the devil and his kingdom will be put down, and one day every nation that fights against God will be put down, and one day even death itself will be put down. Every enemy of God will be put down, and our victory will finally be complete. Part of this victory means that God's preparing a place for his people. Look at verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And here's how the song ends. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Moses can sing this song because he knows where they're going. He knows that God has promised a land. God has promised him an inheritance. God has promised him an actual place where God will dwell with them. He says a place that has been prepared by God's own hands. And that's why they sing, and that is why we sing, because God has prepared a place for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Why? So where I am, there you may be also, so that he might dwell with us. And in this place called heaven, just like verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. This is how the song ends. And everything in this song of Moses is true, and it'll always be true. Because the God who makes it possible will never stop reigning. And that's why we'll never stop singing. You know, I think about some of the songs that we sing, and I love almost all of them. But I don't know how many of the songs we sing today we're going to sing in heaven. Maybe some of them we will. I don't know which ones we might sing in heaven one day. But I tell you what, I know one thing. We're going to sing the song of Moses. I am absolutely certain that when we get to heaven, we're going to sing Exodus 15. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? I know that because when we get to the end of the book and John is given just a glimpse into glory... And he sees the people of God standing on what he said looked like a sea of glass. They were given harps, and they began to sing. What song do they sing? Listen to what it says. Revelation 15, verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of of the Lamb. Can you imagine John as he has the opportunity to listen in and hear the worship of heaven and he is hearing music that is more beautiful than anything he has ever heard before. And he doesn't recognize the melody, but as he listens in, he thinks to himself, wait a second, I know these words. I've heard this before. This is right out of the Bible. They're singing Exodus 15. They're singing the song of Moses. But they didn't stop with that song. They got to the end and he said, they not only sang the song of Moses, they sang the song of the Lamb, who of course 
is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we don't know the words to that song, so he shares them with us. Again, in verse 3, here's that song. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. The redeemed will sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb forever and ever. I can't tell you how wonderful it will be, but I can tell you this. Moses was able to sing this song in Exodus 15 for one simple reason. He was able to sing this song because in verse 2, he could say, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my song, and the Lord is my salvation. Can you say that? You realize you can't sing, and I mean really sing, about a salvation you don't have. You can mumble the words. You can go through the motions, sure. But you can't really sing about a salvation you don't have. You can't really sing about a God you don't know. You can't really sing about a promise that does not apply. Can you say, like Moses, the Lord is my salvation? Jesus went to the cross, he died, and he rose again to make that possible. Has there been that moment when you said, Jesus, I turn to you, turning from my sin, believing you died for me, confessing you as Lord of my life? I believe you. I want to follow you. If not, don't wait, because you know what? The song of salvation can be your song today. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful song which one day we will sing in your presence. We thank you for every lesson, for all the things it reminds us of that we so easily forget. And Father, we confess that way too many times in our lives we've stumbled simply because we failed to praise you. So God, I pray that praise would be our constant vocation, whether or not we can sing or carry a tune, whether or not it's just a joyful noise. God, I pray that praise and singing would be our vocation and that the world would see us so in love with Jesus Christ that we can't help but talk about him and sing about him everywhere we go, that they would want to know him as well. Father, I pray for that man or woman or boy or girl who's here today who cannot say, as did Moses, the Lord is my salvation, that there has been this time in which the Lord became their salvation. And God, I pray for that person that in these next few moments, they would simply call upon the name of the Lord. This would be their day of salvation. 
turning from their sin, acknowledging they've broken your law, they would cry out for mercy and call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you'd help all of us to take what we've heard and what we've learned today and to apply this to our lives, that we would be a praising people and that we would truly be a singing people. Yes, on Sundays, yes, when we gather, but every day of the week. We'll give you all the thanks and all the praise forever and forever in Jesus' name. Amen.